Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Okay. I think uh, we'll um, have the scripture up, but those who want to um, follow in your own Bibles, please turn with me to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. Um, I want to share with you this morning about becoming a giant slayer. And um, it's, it's a, a story about how the, the Israelites come to the ed- edge of the promised land and they encounter giants there. And um, many of them turn away and uh, don't want to face their giants. And um, I'll read it in a moment, but I just want you to notice something one of the problems, one of the issues that creates the problems in the text is that they have a promised land. Israel has a promised land that God promised to them. That's why it's called the promised land. Okay? And it's a land that flows with milk and honey. It's a good land. Um, but the problem is that land has giants in it. It has fortified cities in it. Conquering the promised land is not easy. Okay? And we as the church corporately also have a promised land. And as part of that promised land, each of us individually also, and and us as families have a part of that inheritance is ours. But the, the problem is our promised land also has giants. Our promised land also has fortified cities. Our promised land is also not easy to conquer. And you may almost wonder, God, Why? Why give us an inheritance? Why give us a promised land and then make it so difficult? Isn't it like giving someone a, a, a set of, 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 you know, crockery, but then eating from the plates and stuff first and then just giving them dirty like that? You know, what, what kind of a gift is that? <laughs> um, the reality is conquering our promised land is not easy. The problem, though, is not that it is difficult to conquer our promised land. The problem is that we expect it to be easy. We expect it to not be difficult. That is the problem. That is what discourages us often the most. It's not the fact that it's difficult that often discourages us. Because if we expect it to be difficult and it's difficult, then you know, we can go, go through with it. But the problem is we so often expect it to be easy. And, and has anyone experienced that conquering their promised land is not that easy? For sure, it's not always that easy. Sometimes it's, it's the Lord in His grace you know, gives, give, gives it to us, or sections of it, in, in an easy way. That is true. He does that. But sometimes it's not that easy. I, you know, I've, I've heard of, of people who've um, struggled with drug addiction or who, who smoke and they get saved and immediately all the cravings are gone and they off drugs, off cigarettes, off everything and, and everything's just hunky door and it just happened like that in the twinkling of an eye, easy peasy, you know. But then I've heard of other people, for me it's been a difficult slog, you know, it's been, it, it's been a process of hard work and discipline and deep repentance and going on um, and, and the Lord knows why he gives some portions of our promised land easily and some portions more difficult. Part, that, even that is part of our salvation. But I think the main thing is, if, 
conquering our promised land was all just easy all the time, we wouldn't need to trust God for anything. And God wants us to trust Him. So part of the promised land, part of the inheritance, part of the salvation, salvation is not just God getting us into the promised land, but getting us into the promised land as a people who trust Him, who have faith in Him. So let's, let's read that, that portion uh, in, um, in Numbers 13 from verse 26, and I'm going to read to chapter 14 around verse 11. Uh, in fact, let me start with, with uh, Numbers 13, verse 1 and 2, because that sort of sets the, the context here. It says, The Lord said to Moses, in verse 1, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which is the promised land, which I, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. Okay, so it says, go, go and send, send those 12, one from each uh, uh, tribe, 12 leaders as scouts, as spies into the land to explore the land. Uh, but he says it's, it's the land of Canaan which I am giving to the Israelites. Okay, then verse 26 says, They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses, Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up to take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. And the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land uh, uh, that they uh, had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak are, uh, come from the Nephilim. Nephilim were, were giants, you know, guys like Goliath, you know, nine, uh, nine foot tall, you know, or, or even bigger, you know, the one guy, Og um, of Bashan, by the way, which they actually already conquered at this stage. I had a bed that was 18 feet long. Now, if you have a bed that is 18 feet long, how big must you be, okay? I don't think he just liked his face, you know, when he was sleeping. Right? I think it was a bit more than that. <laughs> um, the descendants of Anak are from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. 
Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting and all the Israelites, uh, meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to, to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? And then verse 23 and 24 lastly says, Not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your word, and we pray, Lord, that you'll strengthen us and encourage us and instruct us through your word, that you will mold us and make us, Lord. You are the potter and we are the clay. And we pray that you'll mold us and make us into what you want us to be through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So, just very briefly, we have a situation here where a group goes into the Canaan, into the promised land, to go and spy it out, to go and explore it. And they come back after having seen exactly the same land Exactly the same people, exactly the same cities, and they bring very contradictory reports. Some of them bring very negative reports. No, we're not able to do this. This is a bad land. It's going to devour us. Some bring a very, Caleb and Joshua bring a very positive report and say this is an exceedingly good land and we are well able. To, we must certainly go up because we are well and we can certainly conquer this land. Now, how do you square that circle? of these, this group of people seeing exactly the same land, exactly the same people living in it, exactly the same cities, but experiencing it so differently. They saw the same thing, but they didn't see it in the same way. And we as Christians, we have a promised land. And often we look at our inheritance, our promised land, what God has promised us. And we also bring differing reports from it. And my question is, are you a Caleb that brings a positive report? Are you one of the other spies that brings a negative report? What kind of report will you bring from the promised land? Now, just a a, a scripture that I think that is very telling, sort of in the midst of this, is, is chapter 13, verse 33, the last verse in chapter 13. The last phrase, actually, sentence says, We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we, see, uh, and we looked the same to them. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. And that tells you this is all about how they see. This whole thing is about how they see. Okay? 
And, and it's not just seeing physically. Because they say, we look like grasshoppers to ourselves. No, they weren't looking in the mirror. So it's not physical seeing. It's deeper than that. It's how their heart sees themselves. And then it says, and we look the same to them. But, but they don't know how they look to the other guys. They were assuming how they looked to the, to the giants and to the, to the inhabitants of, Israel, of, of Canaan, of the promised land. So that shows you that, that the, the problem here was how they see, how their eyes worked. And they, they reported a few areas in which they saw. And, and, and what I want you to notice here is that, that if you have the lenses... I was, we were reading, Rochelle and I were reading this week from, we finished reading the book of Acts and we were going into Romans with our kids, you know, so we'll read a, just a couple of verses. With, with Romans we have to lead, read like few verses because it's very dense, you know. <laughs> so we're in Romans 3 and, and, and one of the verses said, um, is that portion where, where it says there's no one good, no, not one, there's no one righteous, there's no one who seeks God. And then it says, one of the verses says, they have no fear of God before their eyes. They have no fear of God before their eyes. And I thought that's an interesting way to phrase it, isn't it? It's, they have no fear of God before their eyes. Why do you have fear of God before your eyes? Because the fear of God is like a lens through which you see the world. And we as a modern people, we, we don't understand the fear of God. We think of phobias and being scared and being frightened. But that's not what the fear of the Lord is. That's not what the fear of the Lord is. Okay? And, and, and I think what, what these guys had is they didn't have the fear of the Lord before their eyes. In other words, they weren't looking at themselves, their enemies, the promised land through the lenses of the fear of the Lord. They weren't looking at it through the lenses of faith, through the eyes of faith. Okay? Now, when you don't look at the world through the fear of the Lord, with a consciousness, a constant consciousness of God and His presence and a constant trust in Him, then it skews everything you see. And we see it in this passage. It says, they, they say, we look, like, we look to ourselves like grasshoppers. If you don't look at yourself through the fear of the Lord, if you don't look at yourself through the eyes of faith, you'll see yourself like a grasshopper. What, is, what do grasshoppers do? They consume. Yeah, if you have a, 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 you know, a bunch of grasshoppers going through, through, through a field of maize or of, of corn or something, they just eat everything. They just devour everything. They're consumers. Okay? But they're weak. They're easily trampled on and squashed and destroyed. And if we see ourselves apart from God and not through the lenses of the fear of God, not through the eyes of faith, We'll see ourselves like grasshoppers, small, insignificant, little consumers that can be easily squashed and destroyed. But not only that, they saw their enemies as giants. The enemies, I mean, some of them were giants, to be fair. <laughs> but I'm sure in their eyes they look even bigger. I mean, if... if you know, it's, it's one thing to, as a human being, see a giant and say, oh, this guy is tall, he's big, he's strong, you know. It's another thing as a grasshopper to see a giant. <laughs> to a grasshopper, a giant looks even bigger than he really is. And if you don't look at your enemies 
through the eyes of faith, through the fear of the Lord, they will look like giants, disproportionate giants to you, and they will terrify you like they did these guys. They look too big, and they're like, no, 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 you know. I mean, Joshua and Caleb saw the same giants, and they said, we should go up. We can certainly take the land. And these guys said, no, we can't. Too, these people are too big for us. They're too powerful to us. They're too strong for us. We so easily look at our problems, not through the eyes of faith, just from our own perspective, and we're intimidated by our problems. We're intimidated, terrified by the challenges facing us, by the giants facing us. Not only did they look at themselves and their enemies differently, but they looked at their inheritance and saw their inheritance in a certain way. The promised land is their inheritance. Each of us and us together, corporately as a church, we have an inheritance. But if you don't look through the fear of the God, the lens of the fear of God, if you don't look through the eyes of faith, Here's the sad reality. You will see your inheritance as dangerous and undesirable. You'll say, it's a land that devours its inhabitants. You'll start making excuses in your heart because it looks too difficult to conquer. You'll start to say, no, 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 no. Uh, we've all heard that, you know, the, the whole thing about sour grapes. Okay? If you can't get something, then you, if you can't get the grapes, then you say, no, they're sour grapes. I don't want them in any case. Right? That's human nature. And, and this is what these guys are doing. They're looking at their promised land. It looks too scary to them. It looks too day. It, the, the inhabitants, it looks too difficult for them in their own strength to conquer it. So they say, oh, no, it's a bad land. It, 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 it devours its inhabitants. It's a terrible land. Actually, you know, it's not really an inheritance that we want. If you don't look at your inheritance through the eyes of faith, you'll end up not wanting it. That is scary, people. That is scary. But not only that, they, they look at God through those same eyes. And instead of seeing God as he introduced himself, as the one who is busy giving them the promised land, busy giving them the inheritance, busy giving them a land, a good land flowing with milk and honey, how do they see him? As a God who is cruel and who is playing this cruel joke on them. <laughs> I really got you guys. I got you to come all the way. I got all your hopes up, you know, and did those ten, you know, um, you know, signs and wonders in Egypt, the ten plagues, and got you out, and I got your hopes all up. I even got you through the desert and, and gave you manna and quail and water and all that kind of stuff, and I brought you to the promised land, but it was all a joke. The joke's on you. I'm going to kill you right here. You're going to die by the sword. And you see God as this cruel God who, who just gets your hopes up and then destroys it. Because you're not looking through the eyes of faith. You're not, the fear of God is not before your eyes. And you, what does God say? How long will they treat me with contempt? How long will they not believe me? If you don't look through the eyes of faith, you will end up having contempt for God. You'll end up despising God and seeing Him as a cruel and a wicked God who's just playing tricks on you. Not only that, they look at their leaders differently. Aaron, Moses, and the guys. They say, like, you know, these guys are useless leaders. We must stone them, get rid of them, and we must choose new leaders to lead us back to, to, lead us back to Egypt. 
Okay, now, how do they see, if, if you don't look through the eyes of faith, if you don't look through the fear of God at leaders, how do you see them? You see leaders as people who are supposed to lead you to where you want to go. Can you see the grasshopper consumerism coming in here again? Leaders are supposed to lead me to where I want to go. Whereas Moses, Aaron, and especially Joshua and Caleb, who looked up to Moses, who tore their clothes when the guys wanted to stone them, they said, no, a leader, a good leader, is not someone who leads me to where I want to go. A good leader is someone who leads me to where God wants me to go. Even if I sometimes don't want to go there. I think that's a pretty good definition of leadership. If you want to know of Christian leadership, what is a Christian leader? A good Christian leader is someone who leads people to where God wants them to go, not to where they necessarily want to go. We know this as parents. We do this every day as parents. We don't lead our children to where they want to go. We don't give them everything they want. If we did give them everything they want, they wouldn't go to school. They would sleep late every morning. They wouldn't have any homework. They wouldn't eat any veggies. They'd just eat sweets and stuff. They'd have all the newest gadgets all the time, free, you know, unlimited internet access, and they can just sort of surf the internet like they want to. But we know that's not good for them. They're going to come upon things on the internet that will damage them. If they eat sweets all the time and don't eat their veggies and healthy food, it'll damage them. If they just get their will all the time, it'll damage them. They'll become little spoiled brats. If they don't go to school, yes, they don't always like the homework and the school and that kind of stuff, but it's good for them. It's necessary for their development. So we don't lead them where they want to go. We lead them to where they need to go, where God wants them to go. And that's what good leadership does. But, but if you look through the eyes of, you know, eyes that are not... You're not looking through the lens of the fear of God. You're not looking through the eyes of faith. Then you'll see leaders as only, you look at leaders as, you know, from a consumer perspective. They're supposed to lead me to where I want to go. And if they don't lead me to where I want to go, I'll get offended at them. In fact, I want to stone them. But then the scariest part of all is, it doesn't only, looking through, you know, looking without the eyes of faith doesn't only skew your, your view of yourself, your enemies, your inheritance, your God and your leaders, but it skews, it skews your perspective of your past and your, past, your, your previous bondage. It makes your previous bondage look attractive. Oh, Egypt wasn't actually that bad. Oh, the slavery there, you know, at least we had meat. At least there weren't giants in Egypt. And more and more, your previous bondage starts looking attractive to you. And it's like, we want to go back there. Let's go back there. Let's go back to our previous bondage. And how many Christians are there who stand at the edge of their promised land? How many people are there in church who stand at the edge of their promised land, who see their giants, the fortified cities, the inheritance... And because they're not looking through the eyes of faith, because they don't have the, fear of, the lens of the fear of the Lord through which to look, it skews their perception of themselves and everything else, and it causes them to want to go back to their bondage. Oh, maybe that addiction wasn't so bad. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm a bit lonely, you know. Maybe, you know, I passed off, you know, just having sex with every woman I met. Maybe that's not so bad. Maybe I should go back to that. Oh, maybe 
you know, this, this, you know, Christian life of being honest, you know, it's so hard. You know, in the past I could, through corruption, you know, make easy money. Maybe, maybe I should go back to that. Actually, that wasn't so bad. And that's a scary thing when your bondage starts looking attractive to you. That's a very scary thing. Not only that, but they didn't only see themselves, their enemies, their inheritance, God, leaders, their bondage in a certain way, but that caused them to bring back a report to the rest of the community, a bad report that influenced the whole of the rest of the community to see everything they saw in the same way they saw it, through the eyes of unbelief and doubt. Now, here's what I want you to realize, and what I think this passage wants us to realize. We don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. We see the world through the eyes of our faith. You see, the problem with the ten other spies was not that they didn't have faith. They, it's impossible not to have faith. Everyone has faith in something or someone. Okay? It's not like they weren't looking through the, the eyes and the lenses of faith. It's just that their faith was not in God. What was their faith in? Can you tell from the passage? Themselves. Themselves. And fear is just having faith in the wrong thing. You experience fear when you have faith in the wrong thing and you believe the wrong thing will happen. When you don't believe, when you believe the opposite of God's promises will happen, that's when you have fear. So we, each of us has a functional Savior. Not who you say your Savior is, because you know, if we're Christians, we say Jesus is our Savior. But what is your functional Savior? What is your actual Savior? What is the thing that you actually trust in? What is the thing that you actually believe will ultimately save you? What is the thing that in your heart of heart you really look to for salvation? If it's God, then God is your functional Savior. But if it's you then you are your functional savior. And here's the thing. All the challenges in your life, all the giants in your life, you will measure against whatever is your functional savior, whatever you really trust in. And that's why these guys, they measure themselves against, they measure the giants against themselves, and they say, we're not strong enough. But, but Joshua and Caleb, they said, we are strong enough. We can conquer this land. Why? Not because they had so much faith in themselves. It comes out later. They say, their protection has departed from them, but the Lord is with us. Can you see how the, the, the fear of the Lord is before their eyes? How they see everything in relation, not to themselves primarily, but in relation to God. In other words, it's so interesting. Let me first, let me first start with a little story before I say that. Um, we were in Bloemfontein this past weekend, and um, we, we spent some time with the family. My dad uh, just turned 74, so we had a bit of a party with him, and I saw all my brothers, only my sister who's in, in Scotland that I didn't see, but all the brothers and, and, and their spouses were there. And my youngest brother, Peter, is a, um, a tennis coach, and he's in Shofar in Bloemfontein. His, his wife, Talita, is a wonderful lady, and she, she told us this story about, and I think I've told it before, but when she was small, she was terrified of dogs. She believed 
that dogs were one of the most dangerous things in the world and they will devour you. They will eat you alive. They eat little children, you know. She was terrified of dogs. And one day she walked into this, you know, these people's yard with her, with her mum and she sort of walked her head and then all of a sudden around the corner came these big dogs. This big, I think it was an Alsatian or something. I can't remember what dog it was, but it was a big dog coming around the corner and she's froze and she was terrified. And this dog came up to her and you can imagine what's going through a little mind, Okay. She's terrified of dogs. She believes dogs are dangerous and dogs are going to eat her and devour her. And this dog comes up to her and, and, and she's so short that, you know, her, her face is right where the dog's face is. And the dog comes and he licks her cheek. And she's, she's obviously screaming and like, ah, mommy, mommy, mommy. And the dog comes and licks her cheek and she says, Ma, and she said in Afrikaans, she said, mommy, mommy, the aunt prume. Mommy, mommy, the dog is, is tasting me. The dog is tasting me. <laughs> you see, we interpret everything that happens to us in line with what we already believe to be true. She already believed that dogs were dangerous and that dogs wanted to eat her. <laughs> so when the dog came, friendly dog, and licked her, she, because she already believed that dogs are dangerous and that dogs want to eat her. She believed, literally, she really believed this, that the dog was tasting her. Hmm, let's taste this one. Mm, not too bad. Just before I devour it, you know, let me get my, my taste buds going. You see, when you go into your promised land, you're going to see yourself. You're going to see your enemies. You're going to see your inheritance. You're going to see your God. You're going to see your leaders. You're going to see your previous bondage all in line with what you already believe to be true. You're going to see through the eyes of faith. And what Joshua and Caleb believed to be true was they believed the promises of God to be true, and particularly God's promise that His presence is with us, and that through His presence with us, He will fulfill His promise to us. And if we want to be giant slayers like Caleb, then we need to believe that as well. So Caleb saw exactly the same things. but he, and, and here's the thing. He does not contradict the other spies. He doesn't say, no, no, their cities actually are not fortified. They don't have walls around their cities. Oh, they, 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 they're not big cities. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, no, there aren't any giants in the promised land. He, do, he doesn't say any of those things. He doesn't contradict the factual report of the other spies. But he sees it very differently. What makes the difference in what he sees? He says, don't, yes, those things are true. Fortified cities, big cities, big scary giants, those are all true. But, contrary to what the other ten say, don't be afraid of them. Why? Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Who is the Lord? What is the word Lord? It's the word Yahweh, the one who is and the one who causes all else to be, the great I am. So, whereas the other guys were saying, I measure the giants and the big cities against myself, and they are intimidating and big and scary, Caleb said, I measure the giants and the big cities against God. And in my eyes, they look pretty small and helpless. If the Lord is for you, who can be against you? If God is with you, you outnumber all your enemies, no matter how many there are. 
If God is with you, then no problem is too big, no matter how big it is. Because God is bigger than your biggest problem, than the biggest giant you'll ever have to face. Ever. He's bigger. There's this, this, this portion in, um, I don't know, if you guys who are not, you know, who don't have children yet, you'll see one day when you get children, you start to know all the, 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 the animations and the cartoons and stuff. So Ratatouille is this, this movie about a rat that wants to be a, a chef. And there's this one, the bad guy, sort of bad guy in the stories is a guy, a food critic called Anton Ego. You know, and, and as his name suggests, he's a very arrogant guy. So he comes and he says, uh, and, and, the, and, and the waiter asks him, you know, what would you like to order? And he says, I'd like some perspective. <laughs> Because <laughs> he's, he's like, you know, you guys, you know, in, in Gusteau's restaurants, you think way too much of yourselves. I'd like to give you some, pers- I'd like some perspective. But this town is all out of perspective. He looks at him and he says, and the guy says, the waiter says, like, what? He says, perspective. Are you all out? Okay, then, I'll, then he orders like he's there. So, you know, it's all about perspective. It's all about perspective. And Caleb's perspective was way different because he brought, because he had the fear of the Lord before his eyes, because he, he looked through the eyes of faith in God and not faith in himself, he saw the Lord in everything. And he saw everything in perspective. And all of a sudden, he didn't feel like a grasshopper. He didn't see himself as a grasshopper who is unable to conquer the land. He saw himself in God. And with God next to him, as a mighty warrior who is well able, he says, we can take this land. They saw the enemies, yes, as giants, bigger than us physically, taller than us, but much smaller than God. Their protection has departed from them. We, not the, we will conquer them. They will not conquer. They want to squash us like grasshoppers. We will squash them. They saw the inheritance not as a land that will devour its inhabitants, but as an exceedingly good land. And they said, we will devour the inhabitants of the land because the Lord is with us. Their protection has departed from them. They, they saw God as the Lord, as Yahweh, the one who is, the one who causes all else to be, the one who is bigger than everything, bigger than all our challenges, bigger than all our problems, bigger than all our giants. They had perspective. They saw their leaders, like I said, not as someone who was supposed to lead them to where they wanted to go, where they would feel comfortable, like little consumers, but people would lead them by faith to where God wants them to go. Even if it's an uncomfortable process of having to conquer a promised land, that is a bit scary. And they saw their previous bondage as Thank God that you led us out of that. But that just shows your great power. The fact that you led us out by great power means that you will lead us in with great power. We don't want to go back to that. We just thank you, fool, that you delivered us from our bondage. Now, Caleb followed wholeheartedly because he had a different spirit. And I think there's the key. There's the key. It's not only the gospel promise that God is always with us, that he will never leave us or forsake us. One of my favorite verses is in, is in the beginning of Joshua, which is after this, uh, where, where, where God says to Joshua, Moses is dead, and then he says, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
Be strong and courageous, for you will lead these people to inherit the land I promised to their ancestors to give them. That same Joshua looked through the eyes of faith. And, and, and the reason why Joshua and Caleb could do that is because they followed God wholeheartedly. And, and here's the scary thing. Think about this for a moment. These, the other ten spies also followed God into the promised land. They also went to explore the same land. Externally, they were following God, but internally, they weren't fully following God. They weren't following Him wholeheartedly. God wants us to follow Him, not just on the outside. Yes, I go to church. Yes, I go to small group. Yes, I take care of my family. Yes, I, I, you know, I'm a programmer or engineer or a teacher or whatever, and I'm, I'm fulfilling my calling there. I'm filling God on the outside. But God wants us to follow Him on the inside wholeheartedly and the only way we can do that is if we also like Caleb have a different spirit different from what well different from every other spirit the world wants to give us the Bible says you did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear you did not receive a spirit of fear but a spirit of power love and a sound mind the different spirit is the Holy Spirit And uh, did you hear that scripture that was read at the beginning? 2 Corinthians 4 verse 13. We have the spirit of faith. Do you have it up there on the screen or, or not? Let me, let me just read that, that old um, verse again. 2 Corinthians 4. Verse 13, and it says, It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Who is the spirit of faith? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of faith who inspires spirit in us, faith in us. The Holy Spirit is the different spirit who is different from all the spirits of this world. Because he, he, he inspires us to look at everything through the eyes of faith. To interpret everything through the eyes of faith. To see ourselves, our world, our God, everything differently. is the different spirit. And therefore, in 2 Corinthians 5 or 7, Paul says, Therefore we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. We, we look not only to what is externally visible, but we see the invisible spiritual reality above it. We look at everything through the eyes of faith. Now, here I just want to encourage you. This affects everything we do because it affects how we see everything. And all we need is we need the... Uh, for every people problem, there's a gospel promise and there's spirit power. We need to take the promises of the gospel in the power of the spirit and apply them to the fear of our hearts. Apply them to our eyes so that we see everything through those promises and through the power of the Spirit. That's what we need to do. And that's what God is calling us to do this morning. Um, in 1 John 4 verse 4 it says, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He who is in you than He who is in the world. 
if we fail to look through the eyes of faith, it will skew everything we see. We see ourselves in the wrong way. We'll feel like grasshoppers. We'll see our enemies disproportionately as giants. We'll see our inheritance as dangerous and undesirable. We'll see our God as cruel and unjust. We'll see our leaders as people we don't want to, to have us lead us. We'll see our previous bondage as desirable and we start yearning for it again. But if we look through the eyes of faith, it'll change everything. It'll change everything. And we'll, like Caleb, be able to follow God wholeheartedly. And here's the thing. The hardest part of conquering the promised land, the biggest fortified strongholds, the most scary giants we don't have to face because Jesus faced them alone. We can follow him wholeheartedly. We can commit to him wholeheartedly because he wholeheartedly committed to us. He died for us. He paid the highest price for us. He showed his, the level of his commitment to us. And, and we should constantly be saying, God, in my heart, I want to have that same, or I want to at least strive to that same level of commitment to you. You have proven beyond the shadow of a doubt that you can be trusted. Not only that you're stronger than our enemies, but that you are committed, even at great cost to yourself, to defeating our enemies. I can trust you. Let's stand. <clears throat> Just want you to, to close your eyes there where you are. Can you, can you think how your life will be different? Can you think how your life will be different? If you could really, truly see everything through the eyes of faith. If you could really all the time have the fear of God, the fear of the Lord before you, before your eyes. How much more joyful would you be? How much more fearless would you be? How much more powerful would your life be? How much more inspiring would your life be? Instead of bad reports that discourage you, you'll be bringing good reports that encourage you can go and read it for yourself in, in Joshua 15, verse 13 and 14. But Joshua, after spending the 40 years of discipline and, and, and punishment in the desert with those who were guilty, he and Joshua were the only ones of that generation that entered the promised land. And guess what Paul part of the promised land gave God gave him? Go and read verse Joshua 15, verse 13 and 14. It says, God gave him Hebron, where the descendants of Anak were. And he killed those giants at the age of 85. At the age of 85, because he looked with the eyes of faith, because he had the fear of God before his eyes, even at the age of 85, he was a giant slayer, not a grasshopper. And we've got to decide, do we want to be grasshoppers or do we want to be giant slayers? And the first thing, the most important thing we need to do if we want to be giant slayers is learn to look through the eyes of faith in the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the different Spirit. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. 
For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.